You're listening to the Sunday Messages podcast brought to you by Cypress Creek Church. Well, a couple of weeks ago, we started a series, Jose kicked us off, uh, talking about the stories of Jesus. Now, in our kind of modern English parlance, these stories are what we would call parables. And a parable, in essence, is a simple story that Jesus told that explores deep and profound truths. Explores these deep and profound truths. And last week, Sean unpacked the parable of the log and the speck, and he made sure that we knew that he felt that it was more of a metaphor and less of a parable. But he unpacks this, and this is an an entire story that's all about comparison. It's all about comparison. It's about how we relate to other people. And Sean taught us about three critically important inner works in our relationships with other people. The first of which was that we need to be slow to judge. We need to be slow to judge. The next thing that we have to do is we have to grow in self-awareness. In growing in self-awareness, that allows us to do the third thing, which is to take responsibility for our own actions, our own words, our own thoughts. All of those things, we have to take responsibility. Now, that these three inner works free us up then to demonstrate compassion and loving action in our relationships with other people. They free us up to really have healthy and thriving relationships with other people. And and that is all about our horizontal relationships. And so what I want us to do this morning is I want us to begin to talk about our vertical relationship. How do we grow? How do we develop a healthy and thriving relationship with God the Father? And so this is kind of where we're going to be going, but I want to explore the heart condition that's necessary. that, that leads us to health and thriving in our own spiritual lives. Over the past couple of weeks, I have been uh, doing a lot of talking to a friend of mine who's going through, uh, his father is really ailing right now. And he and I have been friends for, it'll be 25 years this year. And we developed this incredibly close relationship when we were actually in kindergarten. And over the years, our families became really, really intertwined with one another. And uh, really, I was thinking about a story uh, about his father. When I was in eighth grade, I got a call from Nathan to, to kind of come hang over at his house. And so like any other Saturday morning, I hopped on my bike, I rode my bike across town, show up in his driveway. And when I got into the driveway, I, there was something that was really unexpected that I saw. You see, my buddy's dad was a professor of horticulture and crop sciences at the Ohio State University. And Ohio State, speaking very broadly, is a huge research institution, and so they have all of this agricultural land that they are doing studies on. And so in the fall, when it's really in September, when they begin to harvest, what he was able to do because of his role within the university is he would go out after the harvesters had come through, and he could take as much sweet corn as he wanted that was left behind. And so he would fill like 10 of these huge body bag-sized trash bags full of sweet corn. And he'd load up his truck and he would drive them home. And so when I pulled into the driveway on my bike, I just saw this mountain of corn in the driveway. And I realized in that moment that I had been tricked because I was now being used for my own manual labor as long as this process was going to take. Because I looked around, and he is, uh, my buddy is one of four, and all of his siblings also have friends, 
which means that they needed a significant amount of help to get through this heaping pile of corn. And so all day, all we did was sit there and we would shuck corn. By the end of the day, it just looked like a war zone with all of these corn husks laying everywhere around us. But what they would do is they would shuck all this corn on day one, and then they would come back the following day, and they would uh, can and preserve, they would freeze all of this corn so that they would have fresh, sweet corn all year round. And so I learned a, a valuable lesson that day. When Nathan calls during harvesting season, I really shouldn't answer the phone because it was going to cost me a day's work. But I began to really pick up early in my life uh, a lot of clues about what it meant to cultivate and to grow plants, to have a really healthy, thriving garden. His mom was actually a, a trained botanist as well. And so they were this powerhouse couple when it came to a family garden, when it came to household plants, when it came to their landscaping. And from my time in the Schultz house growing up, I began to learn the three important things that every plant needs to be healthy and thriving. The first of which is light. We tend to believe that when we go over to Wimberley Gardens and we buy a plant that says that it's a shade plant, that, that we can put it into our closet, and then we're really confused when it dies. Because every plant needs light. And the reality is it needs far more light than we think it needs. Second thing every plant needs is water. And now water is the really fickle part of this because it has to be uh, enough, but not too much, but we can't go too long. And too little water, what happens is the roots dry out and the plant dies. If we overwater it, we end up drowning the roots and the plant still dies. Now the third ingredient for a healthy and thriving plant is gonna be great Soil. Any of you guys who have tried to put in landscaping around your homes around here realize that we don't have it. You're going to get six inches at max, and then you're just going to get that bedrock limestone, but you need great soil. You need great soil because that allows the plant's roots to grow out, to go deeper, and to thrive, to spread out. And when you listen to Jesus teach, if you start to pay attention, he uses illustrations from all three of these things. He talks about light and water and soil. For example, Jesus is teaching on the Mount of Olives in John chapter 8, and he says, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Just a chapter before that in John chapter 7, Jesus is teaching in the temple uh, during one of the Jewish feasts. And he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Let him come to me and drink. For whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So Jesus refers to himself here as the source of living water. If we remember uh, the story of Jesus and the woman at the well, what does he tell her? He says, whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so what he's going to do this morning is he's going to begin to talk about soil and the necessary conditions for our spiritual life to really grow and actually thrive. Now, this is a story that's found in all three synoptic gospels, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to read it out of the book of Mark. We're going to be in Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 1, if you guys have your Bibles, or it's going to be up on the screen behind me. It says, again, he began to teach beside the sea. 
And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside him, was, was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them with many things and parables. And in his life, and in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Now other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Yet other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And still other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and producing and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then we're told that Jesus just walks away. He just walks away. Now, if I am somebody who has traveled from a long way off to hear this man, Jesus, who everyone has told me is this wonderful teacher, I'm going to be incredibly frustrated because I just came all of this way to hear this. This parable in and of itself really doesn't have a lot of meaning. It's only when Jesus withdraws with his disciples and his disciples say to him, Jesus, what in the world are you talking about? Explain this parable to me. And he said to them in verse 11, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may see, may indeed see, but not perceive and may indeed hear, but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? In verse 14, the sower sows the word. The sower sows the word. Now, the word is something that all of these Jewish people would have been very familiar with because, you see, the word is something that is uttered from the mouth of God and things happen. Things happen. The word creates and it sustains all things. The word was present at the beginning of creation, and it was through the word that all things were made. John chapter 1, he tells us, says it this way, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Now the word was Jesus Christ who came to seek and to save the lost. And this concept of the word is really critical for the disciples to understand because in just a few chapters, what Jesus is going to do is he's going to send them out to sow the word. And he wants them to understand what sort of people would accept it. Now, before we go any further, I do want to talk a little bit about how we are to understand parables, to give some kind of context so that we can begin to dig into this a little bit more. I, I'm a bit of a nerd, and so I like to think of this in terms of a, a scientific study. And the first thing that you're doing when you're reading a scientific study is you have to uh, examine and figure out what the variables are. What are the variables? The, in this case, what are the characters? And in this parable, there are three characters. You have the sower, you have the seed, and you have the soil. Now, once you've identified these three characters, you have to ask which ones are constant and which ones change. And in this, the constants are going to be your, uh, the sower and the seed. 
They don't change throughout the entire parable. And so that leaves us with the soil. The soil is the variable. It's the thing that changes. So the variable, in this case, the soil, is the thing that we need to pay attention to because it's going to give us all of the clues in terms of how to understand and apply this story to our own life. So what I want to do is I want to look at the first soil here and then see how this works itself out. Verse 15 says, And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. This is the seed that is thrown upon the path, where everybody walks day to day, where it's all uh, pressed down, where it's compressed, where it's not soft whatsoever. And so the seed never even begins to grow. It never takes root. It's immediately carried away. Now, it's important for us to clarify something at this point. The soil in this parable is the condition of one's heart. It's the condition of one's heart. And our condi the condition of our heart is critically important because it determines our receptiveness to the word. The condition of our heart determines the receptiveness that we have to the word. And when Jesus is talking about the hard soil, he is talking about the heart that has been hardened to the things of God. Now, there are a variety of reasons for our heart to be hardened towards God. That could be loss, could be frustration, it could be unmet expectations, it could be questions, it could be doubt, you name it. And out of those feelings, it is entirely possible for us, entirely possible for us to begin to value the things that have little to no value to God. Most of us have probably been in this place before. I know I have been, and maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're in that same place. When we are in this spot, we begin to put our time, effort, and attention towards things that have little to no value to God. And Jesus wants to tell the disciples that this is the heart that they will often find out in the world, hearts that are hardened to the word of God. Now, I kind of want to reiterate something that we talked about earlier, and I want to explain it a little bit more. God wants to build a thriving life within you. And this happens through the sowing of the word in our life. And the word plays a pivotal part in this because it is ultimately the word that opens us up to the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But that transformation can only take place if our heart is in a condition to hear and receive the word. And so Jesus starts here by talking about the heart that is closed off to God. And there's something here that, that underlies this parable at a historic level um, that we have to understand. Society at this point in history was driven by subsistence farming. It's driven by subsistence farming. Now, subsistence farming meaning, means that a family is entirely dependent upon the success of their crops for survival year after year. There was no global market economy at this point in time. There was only these small-scale, local, village-based economies. And so everyone's livelihood in a village, in a town, in a city is some way, shape, or form related to an agrarian lifestyle. And so when Jesus uses these agrarian metaphors, they land perfectly with the crowd that he's teaching to. The problem for us as modern readers is that we don't exist in an agrarian society anymore. 
We live in a global capital free market economy. And so there's a fundamental disconnect between how the original audience would receive this word and how we understand what Jesus is saying to us. And here is one of those points where we fundamentally miss something due to our context. In a subsistence farming existence, you do not waste seed. You don't. Because that same seed that you use to feed your family is the same seed that you need to sow next year's crops. And if you run out of seed, it's gone. There is no going to the grocery store to get more. Your livelihood is dependent upon that seed. So for example, when you're going through a drought and you have a bad crop year, you're having to make the decision, do I feed my children or do I save the last of my grain for next year's crop? That is the dire situation that you live through year after year after year, crop season after crop season after crop season. And so when that is your world, you can't waste seed. You can't afford to. And so these people are listening to Jesus, and he's talking about a farmer throwing seed intentionally on the hard ground. And they're saying to themselves, what? Why would he ever do such a thing? That is so incredibly wasteful. Doesn't he even know the value of a single seed? But this is meant to be for us a mini lesson about God's grace in our lives. He's talking about a farmer throwing seed on a hard ground. And we come to know a God whose grace is so extravagant that he willingly, time and time again, throws the thing that is most valuable to him into the hard soil of a person's heart. Time and time again, he is willing to do that. And the question becomes, how do I know that? Because that's my story. Because that's my story. Time and time again, he pursued me and my heart was hard to him. And it's a remarkable truth about God's grace that he takes the thing that is most precious to him and he is willing to throw it into the hard soil of a person's heart. And the message of Jesus is clear here. Don't ever write anybody off. Don't ever write anybody off because God does not ultimately write them off. This is the important theological truth of God's grace that we carry with us when we do outreach of any form or kind, when we go out and we have conversations about the gospel with anybody whether it's simply inviting a friend to community group or church or the person that we meet in HEB or in ACE or in San Marcos or on campus, any of those contexts, it's exactly what Jose was talking about earlier. Because we know the great value and extravagance of God's grace that he has poured out on us, we continue to walk forward with courage and boldness, sowing the seed even when hearts are hard to the things of God even when hearts are hard to the things of God. Because we know the extravagance of God's grace pursues us even when our hearts are hard. He goes on in verse 16 and he says, And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. 
And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they follow, they fall away. Now, this isn't the hard heart. This is the shallow heart. So the shallow heart, the condition of our heart is shallow, where the word, the seed grows quickly, but it has no roots so that when anything that is difficult in our life comes up, when trials and tribulations come our way, it dies. It dies. This theologian Dallas Willard says, a person becomes shallow when their interests and their thoughts go no further than themselves. A person becomes shallow when their interests and their thoughts go no further than themselves. This is essentially to become self-absorbed, to only think about what is best for me and mine. And this is ultimately antithetical to what God wants for us. What God wants for us is to go deeper with him, to draw us into deeper intimacy, a deeper knowledge of his love and his grace for us. And for that to happen, the only condition is that we actually have to let him in. Now, the shallowness of our life is something that we really have to be careful of. We have to guard against becoming shallow and self-absorbed in our life. And I really believe that there are three main dangers in our life that can bring about shallowness. Money, sex, and power. Money, sex, and power. Let's start with money. What, what is your relationship with your finances? How do you handle your money? What role does money play in your life? Is your relationship with money self-serving? How about sex? What is your view of sex? Is it practiced within the bounds of a covenant marital relationship? Or is it used to fulfill selfish motives and desires in your life? Lastly, power. How do you wield the power that you possess in your life? If we think about it a little bit, we all have power. We might not be in a position of power, but we have relational, we have relationships where we have power and influence over others. And so how do we view and use the power that we possess? Is it for me to get ahead? Or do I use power to better the conditions of those around me? Really, I think you could add a fourth, and the fourth would be distraction, especially since the advent of the iPhone We're a distracted people. And that distraction creates in us a shallowness or or being self-absorbed. I I had a friend tell a story about this years ago, and I want to tell it to you guys this morning. When the uh, tech companies first started settling in Silicon Valley, all of their app developers were sent from their various companies to the same course at Stanford University. And at Stanford University, they were all enrolled in a course on addiction. Now, this this course on addiction was not meant to uh, help them learn how to cure addiction or to bring freedom from addiction. Instead, it was how to cultivate and keep people scrolling or playing or spending time on whatever app they were developing. It's designed intentionally to keep you locked into it. Now, I'm not a guy who plays games on my phone. I'm not a Candy Crush guy or a Clash of Clans guy. I don't even have social media. I'm basically a ghost on the internet. But for me, 
It's news. It's the ability to get onto my phone and kind of just continue to refresh the headlines, to continue to keep up with everything that's going on in the world. And what it does is it draws my attention, it draws my focus, it keeps my time from where I really need to be spending it. It creates in me a distracted, self-absorbed heart because I'm only concerned with how that news affects me and my family. And so I continue to spend time on it. Now, all of these things, money, sex, power, distraction, they have the power to create shallowness in our lives. They turn us inwards, not towards God, but towards ourselves, and they cause us to be self-absorbed. And so Jesus tells us here that the word cannot thrive in that shallow, self-absorbed heart. He goes on in verse 18, and he says, and the others, and others are sown amongst the thorns. And they are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and they choke the word and it proves unfruitful. This isn't hardness. It isn't shallowness. It is the cluttered heart. It is the cluttered heart. This is when we begin to thrive in relationship with God, but the cares of the world. That is worry and anxiety. It is the desire for us to control our lives. It is the deceitfulness of wealth. Note here that Jesus does not say money or wealth. He says the deceitfulness or the deceptiveness of wealth. It is the lie that wealth will bring us meaning or fulfillment in our lives. And the desire for other things, the, the desire to incessantly acquire more and more, believing that the next thing that I purchase will finally make me content, that it will finally be enough, which if we're being honest, it never is. I was driving through Wimberley earlier this week, and I was just listening to country music radio, and I found myself bopping along to a song that perfectly describes just this heart condition. The great country social commentator Chris Jansen writes, I know everybody says that money can't buy happiness, but it can buy me a boat and it can buy me a truck to pull it. If this doesn't perfectly describe me in my mid-20s, I don't know if there is something out there. But for you, what is it? I know everybody says money can't buy happiness, but it can buy me X and it can buy me Y. What is that thing that pulls your attention away from the Father? These things come up and they choke out the good things of God in our life. In plants, these are the briars and the thorns that grow up around the existing plant. What's amazing about this is that when these briars and the thorns grow up around an existing plant, it's not that it chokes it to death. What it does is it prevents the plant from getting light. And in the absence of light, the plant dies. Now think about this in the context of our own life for a minute. The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things, those things crawl up around our heart and eventually they choke out the light that is Christ living in us. What's so amazing to me about this is that Jesus 
taught this 2,000 years ago. And if he were here this morning, he could teach the same thing, and it would be perfectly applicable. Think about it. How often does worry and anxiety capture you? How often are we fooled into beginning to think that the next thing that I purchase will finally be enough in my life? Or if I only had X amount more money in my bank account, then I would finally be content. I would feel secure. This is the cluttered life. In Jeremiah chapter 2, the Lord describes that the people of Israel have traded the worship of God for the worship of other things. And he says, they have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Broken cisterns that cannot hold water. This is the essence of the cluttered life. It is seeking fulfillment in all of these things that will always leave us wanting because our cup will never be full. Yet we have forsaken the spring of living water. The hard heart, the shallow heart, the cluttered heart, these three conditions of the heart prevent us from experiencing the life that God offers. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Here's what I know about Jesus. He is for you. He is for me. And he wants us to thrive and to bear fruit in our lives. That is his greatest desire for us. And we thrive most clearly when we understand that there is a God of the universe who desires to be in relationship with you. And it is in the context of that relationship that we begin to bear fruit. But it is the, con it is the condition of our heart that is so necessary. So how do we develop a healthy soil in our hearts? Well, the first thing that we have to do is we have to reflect. We have to ask the question, what is the condition of my heart? What is the condition of my heart? Socrates famously said that the unexamined life is a life not worth living. We have to reflect and examine our lives. We have to answer the question, if I had to put the soil of my heart in one of these four categories, which one would it go in? Which one would it go in? I have to confess to you all this morning that I am not naturally a self-reflective person. I'm not. I tend to focus on the future. And as a result of that, it's very easy for me to develop blind spots in my life. That old adage about insanity, doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting a different result, that can be totally me if I'm not spending time reflecting on what's going on in my life. And so as a result, I've had to go into my calendar and every week I schedule time with the exclusive purpose of reflecting. It is a time to be introspective, to dialogue with God about what's really going on in my life and what's really going on in my heart. The second thing that we have to do is we have to pay attention. We have to ask the question, am I spending time on what matters? Am I spending time on what matters or am I wasting time on things that do not draw me closer to God. This is the self-awareness piece that Sean talked about last week that's so critically important for our inner lives. It's not enough to just sit back and to reflect, but we actually have to pay attention to what's going on in our lives. And a great way to think about this is to look at your calendar. Where are you spending the majority of your time? 
Where are you spending the majority of your time? The last thing that we need to do is we need to reorder. Am I ordering my life around what God says is important? God wants you to be healthy. And we get healthy when we take the time to reflect, to pay attention, and to reorder our lives. This is the way that we cultivate the good soil in our hearts. And when we begin to do so, we begin to bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And at that point, we step into the role that God has for us as the sower of the seed. We then get to join with God in sowing the seed, which is the Word, Jesus Christ, who came to restore us back to right relationship with the Father and to bring about thriving for all humankind. Father God, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that your character is that of a God who loves us and pursues us, a God of extravagant grace, that even when our hearts are hardened to you, that, Lord, you continue to pursue us. And so wherever we are in this journey, Father, whether our heart is hard to the things of you, our heart is shallow or is cluttered, God, we ask that you would draw us into a deeper, more intimate knowledge of who you are that we might experience more of your love and more of your grace as we seek to reflect and to pay attention, God, and to ultimately reorder our lives around the things that are of value to you. God, we trust that you are ultimately faithful in that process. And in the midst of that, Jesus, you will begin to use us to become the sower of the seed. So God, we lean into you this morning and we trust you and we love you. We pray this all in your name. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Messages podcast. You can dive deeper into the messages weekly by subscribing to the Conversations podcast, where we dig into the previous Sunday's message, unpacking how we can apply it further in our daily lives. See you again next week.